everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining and Merry Christmas. In today's reading assignment, the seven churches are addressed individually. And as author Nancy Guthrie puts it, Revelation 2 and 3, they're like a report card for the seven churches. But the person grading them Jesus, he doesn't just see their performance or behaviors or actions. His knowledge extends to the deepest degree. He sees their hearts at the level of motive and belief. And the thing that's interesting about Revelation 2 and 3 is that everybody got to hear everybody else's report card. That's chapter 2, verse 7. These reports would have been read aloud to entire congregations as John's letter was passed around. I mean, Think about it. We are reading a report card that was written about real people and sent to real people and is still being read by real people today. Would you want your spiritual report card, so to speak, to be passed around throughout generations of believers? What if what if everyone in your community group knew that you were like the church at Ephesus, having abandoned your first love? What if you walked into church on Sunday and those sitting next to you knew that you were drifting? How would you feel if you and everyone around you knew that you were about to face intense persecution, as was the case for the church in Smyrna? How would you act? How would other believers treat you? Or what would your life be like if everyone knew that someone in your family was perpetuating the worship of false gods? Would they think it was you? Would you be quick to throw that person under the bus, making sure people knew that you weren't the one worshiping false gods? What if everyone thinks you're doing this awesome job crushing the Christian life, but internally, you're spiritually dead? You're not walking closely with Jesus at all. That was true for the people in Sardis. They had the reputation of being alive, but were dead. Chapter 3, verse 1. In today's reading, I think we'll find that Revelation is a lot more applicable to our lives than we'd like to admit. In fact, we often resist reading Revelation and commonly say it's hard to understand and of questionable relevancy as an excuse. But in reality, Revelation might be one of the most relevant and applicable books in the life of the modern-day believer. Think about today's chapters like this. There are seven churches being addressed, and each church is generally being admonished for one area in particular. In chapter 2, we read about the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. That's four churches. Those within the church in Ephesus, specifically, are commended for diligently seeking to discern whether or not people are false teachers. And they are commended, they're praised, for patiently and faithfully enduring persecution. But on the flip side, they're admonished for abandoning their first love, which could either be their love for Christ or their love for one another. But it's most likely, actually, that they've abandoned their willingness to tell others about Jesus. Commentators have differing views here. The Ephesians lead us to ask if we have abandoned our first love. Has our love for Christ or our love for other believers decreased, increased, or remained the same since we've become believers? Think about it. Then there's the church in Smyrna. They were about to face intense persecution, as in verse 10, they would have read that the devil was about to throw some of them into prison for 10 days. They're charged to be faithful unto death. 
which then begs the question for us today. If my faith were to ever put me in a similar situation, would I be faithful unto death? Or would I be faithful unto unemployment? Or would I be faithful unto being judged by my coworkers? Think about that. Beginning in verse 12, we learn about the church in Pergamum. And verse 13 reads, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. What's that mean? Well, one commentator puts it like this. The Pergamum Christians had held firmly to their commitment to Jesus Christ and their witness for him, even though they lived in one of Satan's strongholds. Antipas is said to have been a dentist and a physician. But the Esculapian, basically other doctors, suspected that he was propagating Christianity secretly, and they accused him of disloyalty to Caesar. So this leader, who was a doctor, was suspected to be secretly advocating for Christianity and secretly being disloyal to the Roman government. He was condemned to death and was shut up in a brazen or copper bowl, which was then heated until it was red hot. Okay, so this guy who lives in the city where these people are faced intense persecution. Now, Satan's throne, the commentator continues, may be an allusion to one or more of the pagan temples in the city. Most likely, the Esculapium. The Esculapium was a complex of buildings devoted to the god of healing. This made Pergamum uh, the lords of the province of Asia, they were called. And some thought that this throne was the altar of Zeus, which was very prominent in the town. Another possibility is that Satan's throne refers to emperor worship that was stronger in Pergamum than anywhere else. This city was a leader in this form of pagan worship, which was relatively new to the province of Asia. So these ideas were relatively new to um, the broader context of this region. And it appears that the quote-unquote throne of throne of Satan should be identified not with a specific architectural feature of Roman Pergamon, in part because so little is known about this first century city, but rather we should associate this idea of the throne of Satan with the Roman opposition to early Christianity, which the author of Revelation 2 and 3 perceived as particularly malevolent, particularly evil in this city. And unfortunately, there were people in Pergamum, in the city, who were following the pagan ways rather than worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now, we don't have time to walk through all the other churches mentioned in chapters 2 and 3, so let's pause here with these deep dives and come up for some air. Because whether it's a Christian facade we're putting up, false teachers we like to listen to, sexual immorality we're inclined to tolerate, or even a lukewarm faith— All of us can draw points of personal application from today's reading assignment. I know I'm convicted as there are days where it's easy for me to sinfully check the box of reading my Bible or meeting with the Lord simply because I have to write a podcast script for an episode. My behavior might look godly, but my heart posture isn't holy. I can look a lot more like the church in Ephesus or the church in Laodicea than I'd like to admit. Spend some time thinking about which church you relate to the most and ask the Holy Spirit, who lives within all believers, to empower you to change. Revelation 2 and 3, 
just like other books and chapters we've read in the New Testament this year, has plenty of application points for all of us. It's not as scary as we might think. But we'd be missing something big if we just jump to application and don't take the time to properly observe today's chapters. And one of the best ways to observe Scripture is to ask the question, what does this passage teach me about God? And in today's reading, I think we learn a lot about Jesus in particular. Every time a church is is addressed, a depiction of Jesus is given that pertains to each church's unique challenge. For example, we learn a lot about what Jesus knows. Every time he addresses a church, he begins by saying, I know your works, or I know where you live, or I know the trials you're facing. Over and over again, Jesus says to the churches, I know you. He knows who we really and truly love. He knows how devoted we are, what we're willing to suffer for. He knows what we believe about ourselves and about Him. He knows what our individual standards of holiness are. That's to say, He knows how much sin we are willing to wrongfully tolerate or accept. He knows where we stand with Him if we've placed our trust in Him, securing our eternity forever. And Jesus knows when we are tempted to listen to the popular voices of our day rather than His. He knows whom we depend on. He knows everything. That omniscient, all-knowing Jesus who searches the hearts of believers past, present, and future, that Jesus is who we celebrate every year at Christmas. He is before all things. He knows all things. And in Him, all things hold together. That's all we've got time for today. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.